And it is that deep-rooted change that takes place in us when we begin to become followers of Christ. But this second part of the letter, particularly in chapter 5 where we've been recently, Paul begins to teach us what it means to live out that new reality. To, to, to From the inside out, as God, by his grace and by his spirit, makes this deep heart change in us. He's been teaching us what that means in daily life. Last week, Pastor Travis walked us through the first part of the chapter of chapter 5, showing us what that means in terms of sexual ethics and, and jealousy and possessions and those kinds of things. This week, we're going to keep walking through Ephesians 5, and we're going to see how Paul applies this heart change to life in the community of faith. So I want to think about this in terms of walking wisely together. So we're going to walk, learn to walk wisely together. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. Paul writes these words. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As we look at this passage, I think Paul is teaching us what it means to walk as a follower of Christ, and what that means within the community of faith. As we walk through the passage, I want you to see a three and a four. Three contrasts, four marks of walking in the Spirit. Three contrasts, four marks of being filled with the Spirit. So let's look at this then, starting in verse 15. Paul kind of gives us an overview of where he's going with everything here. In these first words, look carefully then how you walk. And we think for a minute what exactly he's talking about here. Look at how you walk. Walking in, in here in Ephesians and throughout the scriptures is often a metaphor for your entire manner of life. It, it's what people see when they look at you. What, what are the things that mark you out? How is it that you behave? How is it that you speak? How do you use your money? What are your relationships like? What are the things that you value? Paul says, look carefully at how you walk. Look carefully at your manner of life. You know, there's a simple truth in life. If you're not intentional, about doing something, then you will unintentionally do the wrong things. It, it, it's just the way it is. We are bent toward these things and looking inward at ourselves. When Paul says, look carefully how you walk, he's talking about our entire manner of life. Watch carefully how it is that you walk. In Ephesians, he's used this metaphor a number of times, particularly in chapters 4 and 5. So in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy of your calling. So he spent chapters 1 to 3 talking about this calling, a calling out of darkness into light, a calling out of sin and into grace, a calling to follow Christ. In fact, we would say a calling to be united to Christ, to be one with Christ. In Ephesians 4.1, he spells that out as humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity with the brothers. Walk worthy, act like who you are. Walk worthy of your calling. And then in 4.17, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk like unbelievers. Don't live like them. Don't act like them. Don't live as if you've never heard and believed the gospel. He says, walk differently. Don't walk like them. In chapter 5, 
Two other times in our passage from last week, he says, walk in love as Christ has loved us. We are to be marked in our manner of life by love. And then finally, he says, walk as children of light. Walk like who you are. Act like who you are. Your manner of life ought to be a display of the light of the gospel. You don't walk in darkness anymore, so don't act like that. You walk in light, so therefore live as children of light. So I think what he's saying here then is we need to be careful to examine our manner of life and to be sure that the way we carry ourselves, the way we live, the way we speak, the way we treat other people is reflective of who we are in Christ. He spent lots of time making sure we understand this. You are now the children of God. Now let your life reflect that to the world. In order to help us understand what it means to to walk this kind of life, Paul gives us three contrasts. And I want you to see these three contrasts. The first one is found right here in verse 15. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So contrast number one, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. As I started thinking about this, I, I, I reflected on this word wise and wisdom. And th- think about what, what, is it, what does it mean by wisdom here? My fear is it's kind of one of those words where you say, hey, you want to you wanna live wisely. You want to you know, be wise with your money or wise with this or that. And, but if we really press and say, well, what do you mean by wisdom? I think it might be one of those words that we use without really thinking about what it actually means. Look, I, I'm a seminary professor. So when my students throw out Christian or theological terms. What do you mean by that? What are you saying here? It only takes one or two times where they they stop using those kinds of things when they don't know what they mean. My fear is wisdom might be one of those. So what does Paul mean by wisdom when he says, don't walk as unwise, but as wise? Really glad you asked that question. I think in Ephesians, if we look at Paul's use of the word wise or wisdom, we'll often see it's tied to the big story of God's redemption of the world. It's it's all about this grand story of God redeeming a people to himself. So, for example, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, In God's wisdom, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And remember that, that context in chapter 1. Paul's been telling this big story from eternity past to eternity future. How God in his manifold wisdom has, has planned to redeem a people to himself. He calls that in God's wisdom. He made known this mystery of God redeeming people for himself. In, in chapter 1 verses 17 and 18. Paul prays that the church would have the spirit of wisdom. And then he says what that means is knowing God, knowing the hope we have in Christ, and knowing the inheritance that lies before us. Again, this painting this broad picture, the big story of Scripture that we see God from creation to new creation, redeeming the world to himself. And then finally, one more time he uses wisdom. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, through the church, God's manifold wisdom is displayed to the world. What he's talking about there is watching as Jew and Gentile, people who are often at odds with one another, become one people in Christ. It's only the gospel that can do that. And God, Paul is saying that God is displaying his manifold abundant wisdom to the world in the church. Because it's only here that people so different, so at odds with one another, can become one 
in Christ. So what does he mean then by wisdom when he says, walk not as unwise, but as wise? I think he's saying this, living in light of the grand story of redemption into which you have been called. We heard a great testimony this morning about stories we tell ourselves. And that's a good illustration. And we, 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 there, there's a simple truth for all people. We live in light of our own stories. And we might not think this way, but we do, because we have a story we tell ourselves. There is something about us or things about us that mark out who we are that in many ways determine the way we live. So it, it might be the family you grew up in. You say, well, I, I had this kind of childhood, and, and now I, I, there, there's nothing I can do about that. That's just who I am. Or it might be a particular sin struggle or a particular mistake you've made or a particular decision that you've made. You say, that's, that's, that's just who I am. That's my story. What Paul is saying is this. Yeah, at one point that was your story. And you were living as children in darkness. You were living as unwise. But now, because of who God is and what Christ has done for us, that's not your story anymore. Walking wisely means understanding your new story. And it is your new identity in Christ that now marks you out. Living in wisdom means living in light of this new reality, this new identity as children of light. Simply put, it's acting like who you are. But that requires us to understand who we are. And I think that's why Paul in chapter 1 and chapter 2 keeps telling these stories. You are not in darkness anymore because of what Christ has done for you. You are now God's people, made new in Christ. Living wisely means living in light of that new reality. That this is your new story because of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And so instead of thinking this as some sort of checklist, like if I want to be wise, what do I do in the morning? What do I do in the afternoon? It's really not that way. Instead, what he's saying is walk in light of this new reality. Walk in the reality of you have been pulled out of darkness put into light, pulled out of sin and put into grace. You are no longer in sin and rather you are in Christ. And one of the ways Paul goes on to make this clean, uh, clear to us is he says, walk as wise, making best use of the time because the days, of e- the days are evil. I think what Paul's saying here is as we learn to live in this new reality of who we are in Christ, maximize your time. Use the time that God has given you. You God puts opportunities before us every single day. The question is whether or not we're going to take uh, uh, take advantage of those. If we're going to see those and understand those. Walking wisely means making best use of the time and opportunities that God gives us. Why is that? He says because the days are evil. Again, this fits with this broad picture that Paul's been painting. The movement of history. And if you want to think about the days being evil, I mean... Watch the news. I mean, there's so many things going on around us that it begins. you begin to kind of understand the atrocities. The days certainly are evil. Paul says our time is short. Whatever we have, whether it's a short lifetime or a long lifetime, the days are, 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 are limited. Make best use of that time. Because the days of evil, the days are evil. I think one of the other things he means here is if we're not careful, If we're not intentional about examining our life and walking wisely, these evil days, they will in fact make a move on us. They will influence the way we live and the way we walk. And so Paul says walk wisely so that that doesn't happen to us. But as I started thinking about taking advantage of the opportunities God puts before us, I thought about a number of different areas. These are just some examples. You could probably think of many others. 
But I thought about parenting. That was one that really struck my heart. As parents, we have such short time with our children. Let's make the most of that. Walking wisely as Christian parents means investing in our children, spending time with them, instructing them, and training them. Let's not be too busy on social media or doing whatever else that we think is important that we neglect taking advantage of the time we have with our children. Or how about relationships? Let's invest in those. Being wise, I think investing in our relationships, in our church family, serving other people, or, or making the best use of our time with our money, our free time, and so on. The list could go on, but we need to examine our lives and think about the areas of life in which we need to take advantage of the opportunities that God puts before us. So the first contrast, he says, watch your life, not as unwise, but as wise. The second one, in verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think here he's further explaining what he means by wisdom. But as we think about a wise person, what do we think about as the opposite of a wise person? A fool, right? I mean, that's wisdom and foolishness are kind of we, we think of as opposites. So here he begins the same way. Don't be foolish, but he doesn't repeat, instead be wise. He says, know, what, understand what the will of the Lord is. So don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. So I think what we need to think again, what does he mean by being foolish? Well, if the opposite of foolishness is understanding the Lord's will, then foolishness must mean not understanding the Lord's will. So when he talks about being foolish, he's not saying not, you know, not knowing. He's not talking about stupidity or ignorance or simply just not having enough information. Rather, he's talking about having the information yet not acting on it. This is a big difference here. It's not that we don't know. It's that we know and choose not to do. That's what Paul calls foolishness. Now, we, we talk about this often with our children, right? Our children, we tell them, don't do that because if you do that, this is going to be the consequence. And what do they do? They do it. And what happens? Well, the consequence, we just told them what happened. That's foolishness. But, you know, the thing is, it's not limited to children. It happens to us. We know what the will of the Lord is. Paul has spent this book telling us the will of the Lord and living in obedience to Christ. We act in foolishness when we refuse to apply that to our lives and then we act shocked at the consequences. Paul says, that's foolishness. Instead, understand the Lord's will. I think what he means here when he says understand, not, notice he doesn't say know the Lord's will, he says understand. Because understanding moves beyond just knowing and into our hearts and out through our lives. So I think when he says understand the Lord's will, what he's saying is you know these stories of Christ. You know the commands of Christ. You know what he has taught us. You know who he is. You know what he's done. Now go live in that reality. That's what he means by understand. Understanding means application. Putting it into action. So here, when we look at this, he says, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. I think a big question for us is, what areas of my life are marked by foolishness? If we take a moment and reflect on that, we'd find that there might be some areas in which I struggle. And it's just foolishness. Because it's not that I don't know. It's that I refuse to act on what I do know. And so it's a reminder to us to, to watch our lives and watch the way we walk. Don't be foolish but understand the Lord's will. Live in that new reality. That's the second contrast. The third one, 
Look in verses 18 and following. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So, don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. And now, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this one kind of threw me for a loop uh, as I first started looking at it. Because if you think about wisdom, it's kind of broad, right? Don't, don't be unwise, be wise. That's kind of broad. And then don't, don't be foolish, understand the Lord's will. That, that's kind of broad as well. But then he hits right on a particular area. Don't get drunk. So why? It, 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 some, some thought, or well, well maybe, you know, the Ephesians, maybe, maybe they're just drunkards, right? Maybe, they're just, maybe that was their issue, right? Go, go at them where, where they struggle. I, I, I don't think that's it. I mean, maybe. But I think what he's saying here is he's setting up something. The second half, the contrast. He wants us to understand what he means by being filled with the Spirit. If you've ever observed a drunk person, it is a thing that is incredibly difficult to hide. I, I have lived in a culture where uh, businessmen often uh, uh, in sort of contest or, or trying to show their masculinity in some way uh, drink themselves absolute, absolutely silly. And when you see them coming down the street, it is obvious from a distance. Why? Because that drink has completely consumed them. They thought they were consuming it, but it consumes them and it takes over everything about them. Their speech, their bodies, they lose control because they are dominated by the drink. Paul says, instead of being that way, be dominated by the Spirit. And so what he's saying here is being filled with the Spirit. This is not a thing of where we follow Christ and then afterward we need to sort of pray and, and, and sort of get the Spirit or, or it's not a thing of, well, you, you messed up so you lost the Spirit, now you got to get Him back. It's not that at all. What he's saying is the Spirit dwells within you and your life ought to be dominated by the leadership of the Spirit. It is the Spirit working His goodness in our hearts and coming out in our lives. This is a life marked by being filled with the Spirit. In fact, we could say that the Spirit in us is the presence of Jesus in our hearts. So being filled with the Spirit means that we are marked by His character, His love, His priorities, His mission, His humility, and so on. Now, if we really want to know what this looks like, Paul gives us a list. So we started, I said, three contrasts, four marks of the Spirit. We're going to look at those four now. I want you to think of these all four in the context of community. This is where Paul is making the application. When he's talking about being filled with the Spirit, he's asking us to be filled with the Spirit together. In other words, this is not so much a me thing as it is a we thing. We, together, filled by the Spirit. And Paul says, this is what it looks like. Number one, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. First of all, he talks about the way we address one another, the way we speak to one another. Notice the emphasis of one another, addressing one another. This is a together thing. The, the, the life that is filled by the Spirit ought to be marked within the community of faith of us speaking spiritual goodness to one another. You know what? The gospel is not just for the unsaved. We need to hear the gospel on a regular basis. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is precisely what Paul is talking about. Speak these things to one another. Share these good encouragements with one another. Speak the word of God to one another. Encourage each other in the faith. In Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's an interesting thing there. He says, speak to or address one another. And then he uses these 
words that we would normally think of as singing. So it gives an alternative to people like me that you really don't want me singing to you. I can speak encouragement to you. So this is the first mark. You want to be marked by being filled with the Spirit? Paul says, here's what it looks like. Speak to each other in these encouraging words. Speak the gospel. Speak the truths of Christ to one another. Build each other up in the faith. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, this is really interesting. The first one, he said, addressing one another. And now he says, singing to the Lord from the heart. Now, I think Paul's doing a couple things here. He wants us to remind us that the life of one who was filled by the Spirit is a life marked with worship. It is a, you know, we are worshiping beings. There's something that is in your heart that is more important than anything else. He says, singing and making melody, worship be directed to the Lord Jesus with your heart. I think this is an interesting thing here. Why tag on the last part with your heart here? I think what Paul wants to do is draw us back to the center and help us to realize, yes, in this section, he is commanding some things to us. But it's not creating some sort of checklist for us. It is not a life of do's and don'ts. Rather, this is a life lived out from the change in your heart that the Spirit is currently working. This is a from the heart thing that we are singing in worship to the Lord. So we speak to one another, but we live lives of worship in the second. The third mark of being filled with the Spirit. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a challenge to be marked by a life of thanksgiving. We are, I say we, because me, we're prone to complaint. Are we not? Have you complained this morning? Don't, don't answer. <laughs> something happened this morning you didn't like, right? If it didn't, you're probably not liking what some, something happened right now, maybe. But we are prone to complaint. And Paul says that's not the mark of the Spirit. The mark of the Spirit is living lives that are marked by thanksgiving. Because notice what he says. Give thanks when everything's great in your life. Give thanks always and for everything. I'll be honest with you. This is one that Melissa and I have had to constantly remind ourselves over this last year. We've experienced a lot of change, a lot of loss in friendship, relationship, just life in general. Almost everything has gone through change. And it's really easy to complain. We have to remind ourselves, no, we are always going to be thankful. Why? Because it's not for nothing. These struggles and difficulties and hardships in life, they're not meaningless. God, because of who God is, he is doing something in us and through us as we go through these kinds of things. And Paul says, give thanks always and for everything. And if you study Paul's life, you'll see what he means. Ephesians was probably written toward the end of his life. He'd been through a lot. Beating, shipwreck, left for dead, abandonment by both friends and enemies. All over the place he struggled, and yet he says give thanks always and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So number three, the mark, third mark of the Spirit is a life of thanksgiving. One that says, God, I don't necessarily like what's going on right now, but I thank you because I know you're doing something. One of the truths that, that, that I've had to learn living overseas and having things that 
just have been completely out of my control take place is that God has a purpose. And there are certain things in life that you cannot learn without suffering through, through difficulty. They're just things you can, you can know them, but understand them. You've got to go through the hardship in order to do that. God does something in us when we walk by the Spirit and we say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. We could give a lot of examples of this, and I think all of us have probably experienced this in one way or another. But the point is that throughout life, no matter what's going on, to say thank you because of who God is and what Jesus is doing. Finally, the fourth one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, these first three, you probably thought, you know, I, 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 can, I can learn to talk to other people in a, in a, in a, in a spiritual way. I, I, I can worship. I can, I can give thanks. But wait a minute. Submit. I don't know if I like that one. Let's think about here what Paul is saying. When he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, I want you to notice each part of this. It's again, he brings us back to the one another. Did you notice the first one was speaking to one another? The fourth one comes back now to submitting to one another. It's a one another thing. It's, a, it's this submitting. I think what he means is setting aside our own desires, our own preferences in order to serve other people. We are to do that within the community of faith. You know, there's going to always be something that you don't like. Even here within the community of faith, there's going to be things that happen. There might be leadership decisions. There might be something other people say or do that you're just not going to like, and it's going to rub you the wrong way. Or you might not get it the way you want it. Paul says submit to one another. Your desires are not what's most important. What is most important is that the church together displays the manifold wisdom of God to the world. In that regard, we can say this is missional submission. It's a submitting to one another so that the people around us can watch and see the beauty and power of the gospel. Nobody wants to submit unless they're filled with the Spirit. And then it becomes our desire. Notice what he says here. Do that out of reverence for Christ. Why, why this second part out of reverence for Christ? I think it's because Christ is the key. We want to learn what submitting to one another is. We look to Jesus. He is the one who displays this submission better than anyone who has ever walked the face of the earth. Think about Jesus, the king of all creation, the one who himself called all things into being, leaving heaven, coming to walk this earth, suffering to the point of death, death on the cross, suffering shame, humiliation, beyond all measure. He did that for us. He did that out of submission to the Father and in service to us. As I started thinking about this, the passage that kept coming to my mind was Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I just want to read that to you. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We want to know what this mutual submission, submitting to one another looks like. We look to Jesus. 
He is the one who displayed this for us. This is the heart of the gospel, that he, being in the form of God, did not count that as a a thing to be held on to for his own advantage, but emptied himself, became a servant to the point of death, even death on the cross. He did that for us and modeled what this submission looks like. So being filled with the Spirit then, we're speaking to one another in spiritual things, we're worshiping the Lord from our hearts, giving thanks in all things, and then submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and who he is. Summarize what he's saying. You know the gospel. God has called you into his family. Walk wisely in that reality. So as we conclude, I want to think about this in terms of our own selves and our lives. Let me ask you a question. How's your walk? How's your manner of life? Is it, would you say it's marked by wisdom or foolishness? Is it marked by living out a picture of the gospel so that the people around you can see that? Or is it marked by foolishness? Ignoring these truths. Well, if you would say, you know what? It's kind of marked by foolishness at the moment. There's good news for you. We saw it displayed in baptism this morning. We all formerly walked in this foolishness. We all lived that way. And yet Ephesians tells us, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. The truth of the gospel is there's grace for all of the foolishness that's marked us out. For those of us who are here this morning and we are believers, we're followers of Jesus, and we say, look, I've got some areas I need to work on. Paul says, there's grace for you. Remember the gospel. Remember who you are in Christ. Think about this and preach this story to yourself and to one another. Remind ourselves of who we are and let the Spirit take control and work on these areas. Or maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know what? Yeah, it's marked by foolishness because I've never come to follow Christ. There's good news for you too. This is the gospel that we've been preaching. That Christ has come to redeem you and pull you out of that darkness and foolishness and make you his own child. So think about your own life this morning. Where where are the areas of foolishness that need correction by the Spirit? How about this? Let's press it a bit further. How's your walk in community? Are we, as as a community of faith, Are we spurring one another on in wise living? How are we doing in our our walk, in our talk with one another? Are we pushing each other toward wisdom, toward following Christ, toward applying the truths of the gospel in all areas? Are we speaking to one another in spiritual things? Are we submitting to one another? Are we, as a group, as a community of faith, are we displaying God's wisdom to the world around us? I, you know, I, I'm one of our overseas workers, so I, I got to bring this back to mission in some way, right? This is what the world needs to see. How is it that the gospel makes any sort of difference? Because gospel people are the only people that truly want to submit to one another and are willing to set aside what our own wants for the good of others and to the glory of God. So as we think through this passage, our prayer needs to be that we would give careful attention to our walk together so that we might walk wisely and display the beauty and the power of the gospel to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we are people grateful to you for who you are and what you've done in us. 
And thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus, for who he is, what he has done for us, how he has loved us and laid down his life, died on a cross, rose from the dead, exalted the name above all names. Thank you that we are marked by that name, that we are children of light because of Christ. Help us, God, to walk wisely as children of light, that together we might display your wisdom and your glory to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.